Welcome to Part of the Family from South Charleston First Church of the Nazarene in South Charleston, West Virginia. I'm Paul Neal, one of the staff pastors here at SC First. In today's episode, we'll share the message from the morning service on September 4th, 2022. Then Greg Beheller and I will talk about the sermon and what's happening in the life of our church. Just by listening in, you're part of the family too. This past Sunday, Pastor Kent Estep's message was titled, The Names of God, Worker. If you've already listened to the sermon, you can skip forward about 32 minutes for the discussion. Now, without further ado, let's listen to Pastor Kent's message. Good morning. Oh, wow, my goodness. Rough weekend. Rough weekend. Good to see everybody. This is Labor Day weekend. The last vacationing opportunity marks the end of summer. After today, you're no longer supposed to wear white for a while, as I understand it. It's picnic, boating, and one last chance to go poolside. That's what Labor Day means to most of us. But we're glad that you're here for worship today. We're glad to see you on Labor Day weekend. Uh, historically, Labor Day has uh, been about the rights of uh, workers, the health care of workers, the fair treatment of workers. Uh, that was born out of maltreatment and abuse and uh, violence. The first Labor Day occurred way back on September 3rd, 1894. When President at the, t- at the time, Grover Cleveland, uh, put that order into place, declaring the first Monday in September a federal holiday. Now, the momentum for that uh, first Labor Day had been building for a little bit of time. Uh, there was actually a first Labor Day, what's recognized as the first Labor Day uh, parade, had occurred some 12 years earlier, September 5th, 1882. Uh, when those tradesmen, tradespeople in New York City, some jewelers, bricklayers, clothing makers, typographers, all took unpaid leave from their job and decided to march through the streets of New York City trying to bring attention to to workers' rights. Uh, During these years, a few decades after the Civil War, you know, that's when industrial expansion was uh, really going full full bore, it was exploding, and uh, many... uh, in the United States, we're seeing the benefit of new industry and new innovations, new technology. But really, what was happening at the worker level was uh, very different from that. Uh, conditions on the worker level were very grim. They were poor. E- employees, including many children even at the time, were being required to work 12-hour days, six days a week in uh, poorly ventilated factories, and really they were mistreated horribly. And so Labor Day was designed to bring attention to uh, many of the positive changes that have occurred already in the work environment and many other changes that need to take place. But that being said, it's just true that some workplaces are difficult. They are hard, and really no amount of change can change that. There are some behind-the-scenes jobs that are particularly dangerous and gross. They're exhausting. There's nothing easy about them. Uh, maybe some of you remember, remember a guy by the name of Mike Rowe. Does that name mean something to some of you? He did, that, uh, he did that show on Discovery Channel called Dirty Jobs for about nine years, and now he's back. And uh, since he's been back, though, he did an interview, and somebody asked him, what were the most difficult of those jobs? It turns out that when he was doing dirty jobs, he did about 300 different occupations, and uh, again, they asked him, what was the worst of the worst on, on those circumstances? And no surprise, top on his list uh, was sewer inspector. Sewer inspector, quoting Mike, and I am quoting him. I don't want to get in trouble for what he said, but this is how he said it. He said, aside from sloshing through a relentless chocolate tide, inspectors encounter a myriad of man thank you, whoever that was, <laughs> a myriad of man-made products that shouldn't be flushed down toilets. Along with roaches the size of thumbs and rats the size of bread loaves, it's hot, dirty, and too smelly to describe. Thank God there's not smell-o-vision today, right? We don't have to deal with that this morning. Next, he mentioned being a snake researcher. He described the job. To properly study the feeding habits of water snakes in Michigan, snake researchers pull large snakes from Lake Erie, squeeze them until they puke, then analyze their vomit to see what they're eating. It's as disgusting as it sounds, but on the day in question, to add to my excitement, I was bitten no less than three dozen times. Annoying, bloody, and very dirty. Rounding out 
Mike's top five. He named cow inseminator, <laughs> concrete chipper. This is where you get inside the you know the kind of rolling tank and scrape off all the concrete that's stuck on the walls of that uh, machine. And lastly, shark suit tester. <laughs> Dirty jobs. As we begin, what is this last sermon in the sermon series on the names of God? Okay, I was waiting. You took my clue. Thank you. Thank you for that amen. Give me another one later in the service when it's more deserved. All right. Last, last uh, sermon on the names of God. You might be wondering, Pastor, what are you doing talking about different occupations, naming these different jobs? Well, today I want to introduce you to a God who is working on our behalf. Our God is a worker. He is always at work. Point number one of today's sermon is this. Work is good. Work is good. It's what God did and does and what you're designed for yourself. And God does good work. Uh, I was reading this uh, story about little Ricky. He was visiting his grandmother. He, had, he was in the kindergarten. Kindergarten. He had had a very difficult uh, week at school. And so his, he went to his grandmother's house and she was hoping to encourage him and do some different kinds of things with him. And so it, it snowed all night the night before and he was, he was at her house and they decided to go to the park uh, on this next day. And when his grandmother got him to the park, uh, she said to him, doesn't it look like an artist? has really designed all of this. And she said, I would want to suggest to you that God has made all of this for you. It's a beautiful design. It's a picture just for you. And Ricky bought into that, and Ricky said, yeah, and you know what? God did it all with his left hand. He did it all with his left hand. His grandmother was very confused at that point. Ricky, why in the world would you say that God did all of this left-handed? What, what sense does that make? Why do you say that? And Ricky told his grandmother, he said, well, last week in Sunday school, we learned that Jesus sits on God's right hand. <laughs> God does good work, whether it's right-handed or left-handed, whatever. God, you know, we read about the creation account of God, right, early on in the Bible. God forming and making and separating and filling and blessing. The heavens are formed, the light shines, and the earth and seas are alive, and man is born, and God looks at all he has made, all of his work, and what does he declare? He says it is very good, Genesis 1 and 31. And I think we can say not just the substance of what God has created is very good, but, but, but the means by which God has accomplished it, the creative steps he took to complete his master's masterpiece the work itself God describes it all as very good and I want you to note as well that it is defined as work what God was doing was work God working look there at Genesis 2 and 2 it reads by the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing so on the seventh day he rested from all of his work and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done and listen as the bible describes this working deity it does so with the hebrew terminology that i think is very intentional and descriptive specifically the word work in this text is melika which is a term that describes ordinary human labor that's the word the writer chooses there ordinary human labor and so while, get this, while the other religions of this world find it indefensible that a creator God be described as an ordinary laborer, I would suggest to you that our God embraces that language. It's a name that God does not consider beneath him. In the continuance of Genesis 2, we see that it's God's intention that man join him in his work. Look at verses 5 through 7. At the time God made earth and heaven, before any grasses or shrubs had, had sprouted from the ground, God hadn't yet sent rain on the earth, nor was there anyone around to work the ground. The whole earth was watered by underground springs. God formed man out of dirt from the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. The man came alive, a living soul. And then there in verse 15, so it says though that God created man to begin to work the ground. That's what, God, that's what he was created to do. Then in verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And so see in this story that part of the creation narrative, the story, 
is that you and I, were, we were designed for vocation, for work, for usefulness and purpose. Work is good. Amen. Work is good. God, and, and, and as God always does, right, He exemplifies, He demonstrates what we are to be and what we are to become. And so right out of the box, God is doing His good work, and not too far behind that, He says this, I've created you in my own image. Be fruitful, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every other living creature that moves on the ground. Now, I back away from that scripture and I say, listen, some of the work is more enjoyable than some of the other work. We can dispute that. If you don't understand what I'm saying, read the text again. But God has designed us to work. We are to be image bearers. We work. Now, there, there's always discussion about what it means to be an image bearer of God. What does it mean that you are designed in the image of God? And so some point to our ability to reason, distinguishing right from wrong is, is often mentioned, being able to connect decisions to consequences and or blessings. Some point to our ability to be relational, considerate of the feelings of others, considerate of, of what my actions may do to the lives of others. And all of that is true. All of that applies to us being designed in the image of God. But when you simply read this text, after being told that we are made in the likeness in the very image of God, what comes right after that looks more like a job description. Be fruitful, fill the earth, subdue and rule over it. Now, I'm not going to take the time this morning to flesh out all of those uh, points in great detail, those commands in great detail, but let me speak to them just a moment. What does fruitfulness mean? It has to do with procreation within families and forming communities and lovingly meeting the needs of other people. What does filling the earth mean? Well, it calls us to following God's footsteps who filled the earth with his own creation and now we too are to fill the earth creatively with the goods and services that we make and provide that others might benefit when he speaks about subduing and ruling it shines the light on our great responsibility to exercise benevolent control over the earth not exploiting it but cultivating and caring for it developing and sustaining those, th those things that are good and beautiful those things that advance the kingdom of God and this is our good work all of those things and work is not a curse. Work is not a curse. I want you to make sure sometimes we get things out of order and we misread the text and we hear something and we think somebody's right when they're saying it when in fact they are not right. I want you to see from the text that it was before the fall that God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and invited them to join him in the work, to participate with him by cultivating the earth and tilling the soil and coaxing seedlings to find the sun. Their work and our work is one way we participate with God in restoring the earth. This is our work created in the image of God that we might do it, joining him in his good work. Point number two is this, God's work is ongoing. It's what God has done. It's what God continues to do. And many times, God is calling us to partner with him in this work. In the context of uh, John 5, I want, you to, I want you to see this. So I'm going to be turning our attention to John's Gospel, chapter 5. And in this story, there's some criticism that's coming Jesus' way. In particular, he's being criticized about his work and specifically, he's being criticized about when he's doing this work. And so in, the, in context of this story in John 5, Jesus heals this paralytic around the pool of Bethesda. And he does so on the Sabbath day. And of course, the Jewish folks, they had some very strict rules about the work that could be done on that particular day. And so when they saw the paralytic who was walking around carrying his mat that he had been laying upon, they confront him. And they say to him, you're breaking the law by carrying your mat on the Sabbath. Now, isn't that something? Doesn't that strike you as odd what sometimes we see and what sometimes we don't see? Isn't it true? Think about it. This guy, this paralytic, had been around that pool, the Bible tells us, for some 38 years. Many in this congregation haven't even been alive for 38 years yet. 
And he had been around that pool for some 38 years. And those Jewish accusers, they see him and and, uh, they recognize that he has been there each and every day. He was a regular. He was in the same place. He was helpless. He could not move. He was hoping somehow to get into those, those waters to be healed. And he had been there for 38 years. And now they see him. They see him and they don't rejoice with him about his healing. They don't marvel that he's up and walking around. They don't celebrate with him. None of that. No, instead, what do they do? They barrage him with questions and attack him. And they say, you can't carry your bedroll around. It's against the rules. You can't do that kind of work on the Sabbath. And then the attention kind of shifts to Jesus because when they begin ganging up on this guy, Well, this guy does what all of us would have done. He says, I'm just following the instructions on the guy that healed me. He's the one that told me to do this, so so go speak to him. And so they confront Jesus, and Jesus says to them this. He says, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Step back away from that and think about that, that there is the assurance that God is at work Always. We read about it in Psalm 104, 10 through 15. He makes springs, pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. And so I want you to see, I didn't want to spend a lot of time there, but God sustains his, his planet. He is continually at work. He provides food and water and shelter for his creatures. He's engaged in that kind of work of his creation in very tangible and real ways. And God does, does so much of this on his own, in his own time, in his own way. And it has absolutely nothing to do with us. God takes care of it. It's something beyond our control. He acts on his own, alone, doing those things. But could I tell you, so often, by God's design, we get to participate in God's ongoing provision for the world, and it's through our own work. We become incorporated into his plan. He partners with us. Now, it's true that God is the source of all life, but the means through which he provides are typically means in which we get to participate. We see this lived out in the life of Jesus, and it's a powerful phrase that I I read some time ago in a book written by William uh, Blackaby. Uh, The book was entitled Experiencing God. And listen to this line. He wrote it this way. See where God is at work and join him there. Would you say that with me? See where God is at work and join him there. In the continuance of John 5 in this story, I think that's essentially what Jesus was saying in his own words when he said it this way. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can, do, he can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. God made us human beings to love and to serve our neighbors through our daily work, work that participates in God's ongoing provision for his creation. Our work itself matters because through it, listen, through our work, We are imaging God. We are representing God to the world. We are reflecting Him as the provider. And we are used by Him in the very practical tasks of getting His providing work done. Again, I think that's exactly what Jesus was saying when He went on to say, I too am working. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying that my eyes are open to see as God sees. And so when he saw that man stuck there at the pool of Bethesda, God was speaking to his heart. At the same time he was saying that, where he says, I I too am working, he was pointing out that others around that pool they should have been able to see, but they were not. And so he's addressing their blindness, and Jesus is saying, God showed me this man, this crippled man that's been a paralytic for years, and it was plain to me. It was plain to me that by seeing him, that I was being called to join God in the work of meeting someone else's need. 
And he was saying to them at the same time, making this testimony for himself, he was saying to them at the same time, why are you so blind? Why are you so blind to see it? It was apparent to me how God wanted me to join him in his work. Now the accusing crowd, they never get there. They're stuck in the law, and should I say their misunderstanding of the law. They never acknowledge the suffering surrounding them. And again, I would say like many of us, they'd rather bring up rules and provide arguments deflecting from their own complacency and neglect regarding the needy who were right at their feet. They would rather, they would rather come up with all kinds of excuses not to join God in his ongoing work. That's what they did. The Jewish Talmud asked this question. It contains a riddle. Listen to this question. Why didn't God create a bread tree if he meant man to live on bread? So why didn't God just create a bread tree? And some of you might say, why didn't you just make a money tree right alongside it? But nonetheless, Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch say, and they answer in their book, The Shaping of Things to Come, they answer that question this way. Why didn't God create a bread tree? Well, because God prefers to offer us a grain and invites us to buy a field and to plant a seed. He prefers that we till the soil while he sends the rain. He prefers that we harvest the crop while he sends the sunshine. Why? Because he would rather we become partners with him in creation, of course. God would keep simply, let me start again. He would rather we become partners with him in creation. Of course, God could simply supply our every need and solve our every problem. But our God invites us into a creative partnership with himself. He supplies the earth, the air, the water, the sun, and our strength. And then he asks us to work with him. That's what he says to us, that we are to join him in the good work. God is working ongoingly. He asks that we do the same. And then point number three, the last point of the sermon today, God's best work is sometimes hard to see. It's hard to see. It happens in the dirty, dark, and disgusting places of life. There's a quote that I want to share with you. It comes from the book of Job, so that's in the Old Testament. It was in a speech given by one of Job's visitors. This guy's name was Elihu, and uh, he says this in, in verse 20, and this is from the message translation. We know God is working behind the scenes. We know God is working behind the scenes. And so many times that's true in our life. That we can't necessarily see it, but we've got to buy into this promise, this assurance that God is at work. We don't understand. We may question whether God is working or not, but God is always working even in the dark. And I've got three ways in which he does that. Number one, God works in the darkness of poor, sinful choices. Could I tell you that in your sin, in your failure, in your mistakes, in your running from God, God never abandons you. There's a great story about Jacob. You've heard about Jacob coming from Genesis 25. His, uh, he's named there and uh, he's the deceiver. He is the heel grabber. That's, that's who he is. And really, he lives down to that name over and over again in Scripture. He, he tricks his brother Esau out of his birthright. He deceives his father out of the paternal blessing. And then he, you know, he's running from his past, and so he's trying to get into a new family. And so he, he visits who becomes his match, really, in deceit when he visits his uncle Laban. You know, he's working for the hand of Laban's daughter. He was working for the hand of Rachel. She was the more attractive one, though she was the younger daughter, and that's who he was working for. But instead, instead of after working for those seven years, he thought he was going to get Rachel's hand in marriage. Well, Laban, Laban pulled one over on him, right? And if you know the story, he slipped Leah up under the veil. And instead of marrying Rachel, who was known as the little lamb, he gets Leah, the wild cow. Not a good trade. After 20 years of trickery and deceit, he decides to leave. He, he finally leaves after he gets both of their, their hands in marriage. He decides to leave. Esau finds out about it, and Jacob thinks, I'm going to really pay the price now. Esau has never forgotten. That's what Jacob assumes. He's never forgotten what I've done to him. He's going to get even, and he, he hears that Esau's got 400 men that he's bringing with him. And so it leads to this dark night of the soul, really, in Jacob's life. He spends a night in prayer. He finally thinks, my sin and my deceitfulness have finally caught up with me. But could I tell you that it's on this night, 
on this dark night of the soul night that he wrestles with God and he comes away a changed man and God changes his name from Jacob the liar to Israel which means let God prevail he had spent 20 years on the run, 20 years of being cheated, 20 years of reaping the, the consequences of his own, own selfishness. But God remained at work in the dark, making Jacob a man of character in the, in the end. God was near. He never abandoned him when he was willing to wrestle with God. Listen, when Jacob came to that point in his desperation, in the dark night of his soul, that he was willing to wrestle with God, God was a willing wrestling partner. That's who God was. He had never abandoned him. And so God was always close. God was always near. Maybe someone, someone today has, has been discouraged in the consequences of your sin and you're on the run. Could I encourage you to know that God will work with you in the dark. He will work with you in the darkness of your own sin, in the darkness of your own mistake, in the darkness of your own running from him. God will not abandon you. He will be a willing wrestling partner with you, and he will change your name, and he will change your character. That's what God can do. Praise be to his name. Point number two is this. God works in the darkness amidst the mistreatment of others. There's another Old Testament story. It's Joseph's story. He was the son of Jacob. You know him as the one. He was the recipient of the coat of many colors. And he had those dreams about his family, that his family was going to bow before him. That, of course, made his brothers very mad. And they decided that they were going to take care of the young dreamer. They were going to sell him into slavery. And that's exactly what they, they did. And uh, when he was sold into slavery in Egypt... He became a uh, servant in Potiphar's household. He kind of rose in that household. He gained uh, recognition and esteem. And Potiphar placed him in charge of all the affairs of his household. But you remember, Potiphar's wife had a different kind of affair in mind. And when he refused, she accused him of rape. And Joseph was imprisoned. And so he was mistreated again, first by his brothers, now by Potiphar's wife. He ends up in prison. Again, he rises in in, in status and the warden places him in charge and there he meets two other prisoners Pharaoh's cupbearer and the baker both of those guys had dreams Joseph interpreted the dreams the baker would die the cupbearer would live and the cupbearer promised after after the fact that he would remember Joseph but he did not do that right he did not he forgot him Finally, Pharaoh himself had a dream no one could interpret, and it was then finally that Pharaoh's cupbearer remembered Joseph who interpreted Pharaoh's dream about the fat and skinny cows, and Joseph was placed in charge of all of Egypt. When the dream was realized and famine gripped the land, you'll remember that Joseph's brothers finally come back to the land of Egypt seeking food because they had food, the only place that had it, and he, in fact, sees his brothers bow at his feet and uh, they were terrified, of course, when they find out it was Joseph. They thought that he was going to take, you know, take it out on them for what they had done to him. Terrified, they come before Joseph. But Joseph says to them this, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended, you intended to harm me. But God turned it. God devised it. God intended it for good to accomplish what now is being done, the saving of many lives. Listen, you can probably bet on it. There were many times in what is estimated to be about 13 years of slavery and imprisonment when Joseph had to wonder, what in the world, God, are you doing? What about those dreams, Lord, that I have? Was that you or was I just dreaming myself? What am I doing here in Egypt in slavery and prison, far from my own family and all the, those that matter to me? Why am I suffering? Why am I suffering for my brother's sin, for Potiphar's wife's deception, and, and, and Pharaoh's cupbearer's forgetfulness? Why am I suffering? Legitimate questions, right? Sometimes we suffer for our own sin. Sometimes we suffer at the mistreatment, at the sin of others. And it seems so unfair. But can we believe, shouldn't we believe, that God is still at work in the dark? That was true in Joseph's life. And just like it was true for Joseph, I think it's true for you and me. We may not see it, but God is at work in the dark. Point number three and the last one. God works in the darkness of unrealized expectations. We turn to Acts chapter 7 to hear Luke's retelling of the, the account of Moses' story. And he says it this way. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel, 
He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, and so Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed, listen to Moses' assumption, Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day, Moses visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. Now Moses, my goodness, he had great expectations. He thought God had laid the table out for him. He was going to be seen as the redeemer, the savior of his people. But he was rejected and he had to flee to Midian where he found this job tending sheep. I mean, he had gone from the center of Egyptian culture to the backside of the desert, from the power of the throne to the poverty of a nomadic shepherd, from great expectations to the despair of rejection and shattered dreams and hopelessness and darkness, you can bet, settled in on Moses' life. And could I say, how, how long was that darkness in place? It was after 40 years. After 40 years, God showed up one morning in a burning bush and rekindled those dreams of Moses leading his people to freedom. 40 years of forgotten dreams. 40 years of wandering in the darkness of unrealized expectation. 40 years of wondering, what happened, God? What happened to those dreams I thought you gave me? And those dreams were not culminated, if you will, until Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt into a land of promise and freedom, but it happened after 40 years. 40 years of darkness. What will you do in the darkness? In the darkness of your life? Because in every one of our lives, from the youngest to the eldest, there are times of darkness. When you feel alone, when you feel like all hope is gone, when you don't understand the circumstances that are going on around you, when you lose belief in yourself, when you question, what will my future hold? Who will hold me into my future? Times of darkness for you and for me. Sometimes it's brought on by our own sin. Sometimes it's brought on by the mistreatment, the failure of others in our lives. And sometimes it's just that dreams that we thought were going to happen in the time frame that we thought were going to, that they were going to happen in don't result in the, in the way that we thought they would. They just don't come about in the way that we thought they would. And the question becomes, will your faith remain? Will you hold fast? Will you, as we sang very early in this service, choose to believe that his word is enough for me? What will happen in the darkness? Could I testify to a God who is unfailing in the darkness and we can rest on his promise that he is always, he is always working for your good on your behalf? That is the testimony of the risen Christ about his Father to your heart and to my heart today. Will you receive it and will you believe upon this one who is working for your good in Jesus name father we thank you this is your strong word to us certainly in our humanness there are times in which we question what we have read and what we what we have heard so many times but for those of us who have been there for those of us who have been there and who have walked our way through the darkness not because of our strength but because of your strength in us we testify to your faithfulness and to your goodness and we would pray that all of this people who sets before us even in these moments would receive this word for themselves that they would be committed to the faith committed to a deep trust in you that you are unfailing that you are constant and that you in fact will make a way for them even when it seems that there is no way we trust you in you we pray amen amen let's start as we respond today welcome back to the studio we're glad to have you with us i'm paul neal and i'm greg beheller 
And uh, we are looking forward to talking about this one. This was a great one. Uh, Greg, you you asked a question earlier. It was one that uh, Pastor sort of referring to what Pastor Kent led with about Dirty Jobs, the mm-hmm. Mike Rowe show, which is fantastic. Great Love show. that. Um, what's, the, what's the worst slash hardest job you've had? I, I tell you, um, in between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I came back to Charleston and found a job working with some uh, bricklayers. And... <laughs> Um, they were laying a huge block, building a huge building, and I was the mud guy. So you mix the mud and you carry it up to where the people who are laying the brick and block, and you carry the block. Well, the whole, the, you know, one of the things that we, when I got this job, the, the guy who hired me said, "Listen, when it rains, we can't work. So you know, you're going to have some days off during during the week." And I just remember uh, that summer. Uh, I'm not sure what year this was. It didn't rain one time, <laughs> and so we worked every day. And I'm not sure if you've ever done or seeing block work or brick work, but it is excruciating. It's a lot of lifting, a lot of back work, and it was just the hottest summer. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it made me want to go back to school. Uh, that's I, I can definitely see that. Mine, um, mine came much later in my life. You know, I, uh, I did not work in high school. I didn't start working until college, um, and I worked a couple jobs on campus. I, I did some. I was an after-school caregiver to school. None of that was too bad. Um, it was also during college that I was a children's pastor for two summers, and that was that was pretty bad. I determined I did not want to be a children's <laughs> pastor then. But uh, after my full career as a youth pastor, um, uh, once we got once Mindy and I got married, I I was looking for a job down here and part-time at the church and was looking for something else. And um, we have a, a lawyer in our church, a great guy, um, but he had a, a sort of a temp job that could have potentially turned into something more. And so I was like, oh, I'll try that. Um, it, it was uh, two of the worst days of my life. <laughs> Again, the people the people there were great, but the, the job that I had to do was look through screen computer screens and medical records mm-hmm. finding the earliest and the latest dates and these files would have like 500 600 pages in them that you're sort of scanning through and anytime you found a date oh that's the earliest date i've seen so far oh that's the latest date i've seen so far so then you just had to keep looking oh there's an earlier one scratch out the one write it in i did this for six or seven hours my eyes were going crossed at one point i'm not kidding i called my wife and i said I can't do this. I think I'm going to die. <laughs> and I, I believe I was in tears. I, I, it was just awful. And so it wasn't lifting heavy things. Mm. <laughs> but, you, but you gave it two days. I, well, I, he was done. It, oh, the okay. job was done after two or three days. Um, it may have been three days. Um, and I had, I had f- completed this particular task. And uh, so the temp job was over. And uh, it, it, fortunately for me, did not turn into anything more than a temp job. And uh, I, I now work full time for the state, in addition to part time for the church. And I love my job; it's it's not too bad. Uh, good people. Um, we'll we'll talk more about uh, jobs later. But um, <laughs> yeah, I the, I loved the listing of Mike Rowe's uh, worst jobs: the uh, Ooh, yeah. snake researcher, um, the sewer inspector. <laughs> yeah, they get worse as they go down. It seems. They do. Yeah. I've seen some of those. I remember the concrete chipper. We had to get into the, 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 the barrel of the concrete truck and just chip that away. Um, but, you know, tying right in with Labor Day, uh, right. he, he, we talked about work. and um, So what really jumped out at you, Greg? What, what, uh, you, you mentioned one of the things that you really look at when we talk here is what, what did you take away from it? I think that's such, a, that's such a great way to look at any of this. What did it say to me specifically? So what did it say to you specifically? Yeah, I, you know, Pastor Kent's really great about giving us practical application. And that's kind of what I search for when I look at these sermons or reread them or, you know, what is it that I can, you know, pick away from this and apply to my life and use it and be changed. And so, you know, one of the things Pastor Kent uh, mentioned, um, there is point number two, God's work is ongoing. And uh, as he read through that and gave the illustration, I believe that's the illustration where the man had been waiting by the healing waters right. for, you know, for 38 years and all the people who had passed by and have never helped him. And um, but God's work is ongoing. And I, I looked at this. Um, one of the things that Pastor Kent said was um, that Jesus was saying is my eyes are open to see uh, as God sees. And I, that really resonated with me that, you know, that. are my eyes really open like that? Am I? And I, that's my prayer. You know, let my eyes be open to see as God sees so that I can see the opportunity to work. Right. How many times have have I 
miss the opportunity maybe to 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 work, which I think of as bearing God's image. Right, Pastor Kent talked right. about that. How many times have I seen opportunities that I haven't really seen them as opportunities to bear God's image? And then two, you know, am I so busy that I can't I can't participate in those kind of opportunities to work because right. I, my schedule is such that I don't have the margin to do it? And so. Um, that to me was just really has resonated with me this week. I've thought about, you know, um, at my current vocation, am I seeing this as God's work? And I think um, there are times, yes, um, that that work can be relational and we have the opportunity to invest in people and to lead right. people and to, and to be image bearers of Christ. Um, then there are also times where work just gets really hard sometimes, and it just becomes transactional. And so, right. just being aware of that and and really trying to guard against that, and um, really taking this this thought of you know seeing things as God sees them, uh, really personal, and trying to apply that to right. my everyday life. I, I love that. I I think um, you know it it made me think of the old saying. I think there's probably even a song, um, "Bloom where you're planted." Um, we, when I was a kid, we had a, a a really weird children's record with a ventriloquist dummy. Which record, you know, a record album is perfect, <laughs> perfect uh, venue for for ventriloquism because you can really see the, the ventriloquist's mouth not moving. But there was a little character named Marcy, and she I, she sang this song about about you know brightening the corner where you are, and. Um, the the Wesley Covenant service, mm-hmm. you know, set me set me to be used or set me aside to wait. I mean, we have those sorts of things, you know, put me put me up front, put me behind the scenes, all those sorts of things. And I'm I'm badly butchering the Wesleyan Covenant service, but that's the spirit of it. Wherever you're going to put me, God, let me be content and let me see what it is you have for me in that place. And that's you know, so many people who are listening, I'm sure. Um, do find themselves in jobs that maybe they never expected that this would be their career. Um, they they took a job, they they moved on, they moved on up because it was good opportunities, but maybe they feel unfulfilled. And to realize that God can use us where we are um, in ways that maybe we and maybe already has used us. I mean, I, I don't doubt this for you. Just the way that. That you uh, that God does shine through your life, that God has used you where you are to make a difference, um, and in ways that you may not you may not know till eternity. So, yeah, thank you, thank yeah. you. Yeah, you know, I think that's that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I think there are just times it's it's difficult. Maybe I make it difficult at times too. But um, yeah, I want to look at that that practical application and how can I how can I apply this to my life and. And make a difference, and right. really, you know, um, I love the I love the line that uh, Kent shared from is it Henry Blackaby? Henry Blackaby, yeah. You know, see where God is at work, and join Him there. And you know, that doesn't always have to be a faraway place, or right. it can be right at work, or you know, in your neighborhood. And um, you know, he talks about this. That, you know, um, uh, he said God made us human beings to love and to serve our neighbors through our daily work. Work that participates in God's ongoing provision for his creation. Our work itself matters because through it, we are imaging God to the world. We are reflecting him as provider, and we are being used by him in the very practical task of getting his providing work done. And the word practical is what I underlined there. It doesn't have to be um, sometimes what we think it has to right. be on the mission field or you know, some in, – in, it can happen in our four walls of church, Right. But, you know, the, the, I think the thought for me is that, you know, I've got neighbors and people that, in, you know, where I live that, you know, are counting on me to do that and to be right. that. And so that's what I want to be open to. Uh, uh, yeah, that's it, this. You remember a few years ago, there was a book, The Prayer of Jabez, mm-hmm. and um, the concept of, you know, God enlarge my territory, not in a sense of give me more, right. but... I think the at the heart of that prayer is let me see more, God. You know, let me see more of where I can make a difference for you, um, the territory that I that I can survey and say, mm-hmm. oh, there's there's a place where I can make a difference. Um, and then I, I loved the concept. There were a couple things that really toward the end spoke to me. God's best work is hard to see. Mm-hmm. It happens in the dirty, dark, and disgusting places of life. And uh, he pulled out the scripture from Job um, in the message translation where it says, uh, when the so-called great ones are wiped out, we know God is working behind the scenes. And um, 
the than the idea that God that we don't God doesn't always share His work with us, which is an interesting counterpoint to something He said earlier in the sermon. I, I love the concept that God wants to do His work with us. That uh, he doesn't just automatically do everything for us and and solve all of mm-hmm. our problems because he wants to be creative with us. Um, uh, it said we talked about the Jewish Talmud contains a riddle: Why didn't God create a bread tree if he meant man to live on bread? And then the authors Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch, the answer they said: God prefers to offer us a grain and invites us to buy a field and plant the seed. He prefers that we till the soil while he sends the rain. He prefers that we harvest the crop while he sends sunshine. And then um, it said, he, uh, God invites us into a creative partnership with him. And to think of our vocations that way, to think of the, mm-hmm. the places we have to go for several hours a day that way, to think, okay, these, t- these hours that I'm at work, um, yes, I have tasks to complete for my employer and I want to be a good employee and I want to do my absolute best because I am a follower of Christ. But at the same time, that process is part of that creative partnership with God. He's doing things behind the scenes that I don't know. And sometimes just our presence in those places and our attitudes in those places can be making a difference for someone that we don't know they're making a difference for. Well, I think you can speak to this too. We've all had people in our lives that that have done something, said something in our life uh, that maybe we didn't recognize at the time, but many years later, we realized that as being something profound right. that, that impacted us in a way that, that either drew us closer to Christ or showed us what, you know, what being a Christian could be. And I'd mentioned you know, my uncle maybe a couple weeks ago that he, this is someone who, uh, who was just in town, and, and I had never told him this, but he, he, had, um, he had demonstrated something really early in my life that was very impactful, and he was the first Christian person that I knew. And, it, and, and I didn't get the chance to tell him about it. And he was just here in town here recently. And I just said, mm-hmm. hey, you know, I want, I want you to know this, that this thing that happened, like when I was, I don't know, 10, like it, I still remember that. And I remember you demonstrating um, what it means to be a Christian to me right. in a very real way. And it stuck with me. And it made me know that there was something different. And it made me want to, to be a part of that, and that has always resonated with me, and it always stuck with me, and it's been a memory that I've held for a long time, and I was just so thankful that I got the opportunity to share it with him. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah, you're absolutely right. People make a difference. They don't always know it, and so we have to realize the same is true of us. We've made a difference that maybe mm-hmm. we don't know, and we just have to trust that that um, that we're planting those seeds in somebody else's yeah. life the way other people have planted them in ours. Um, that whole last section about God working in the dark, um, that, that final point that God works in the darkness of unrealized expectations, um, who among us hasn't had those? I mean, I was just going to say that. Yeah. Once, maybe when, maybe when you're 12, you don't have any unrealized expectations because you haven't learned to expect much, or at least it's your unrealized expectations aren't much beyond what you, not what you got for Christmas. But, um, but by the time you're an adult, you've realized life doesn't always pan out the way you think it's going to, and it doesn't mean it's wrong. It, it means it's different. Um, but sometimes those unrealized expectations can just hang on us like weights. Um, so I, I love that he addressed this because I have no doubt that there are people listening and who are in the congregation Sunday who are listening right now that... Uh, that are that are really struggling with those unrealized expectations. This, this isn't where I thought I would be at this point in my life, and why is it this way? And that God is still working behind the scenes. And then um, the quote uh, that even when you can't see, you got to trust. Um, and <laughs> he pulled out a J.R. Tolkien quote. Uh, I saw that. I was just looking at um, that. Faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens. If we really trust God... We don't stop walking when the road gets dark, and it's you know his his words his, are a light to our feet. You know we've talked about that before. It doesn't promise that we can see a hundred yards down the road or even ten feet down the road. We can just sometimes see the next step, and uh, trusting that that God has a purpose in our work, um, both within the church and our vocation, the work we do in our families and our friendships. All of that is part of who we are as Christ followers. Um, any any last thoughts on this, Greg? Well, no. I just I, I thought Pastor Kent, to any of that, you know, my encouragement to you is to trust. And uh, 
certainly, I think you just spoke to it. I mean, there are just times we go down the road that's dark and we don't know the end of the story or, you know, what's next for us and the encouragement to trust. I think when we look at that, we look at, you know, I can look at many people in the church that, that um, we've seen go to battle over, you know, with things, right. uh, loss and career changes or um, uh, death. And we see them, right. you know, uh, with God's help, uh, their faith increases and, and yeah. they, they may make it through yeah. with God's help. And he's and always... sometimes flourish. I mean, yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. And so I, I can think of a lot of people like that. And so I look at tradition and history and, and uh, that's how I get to this part of, of trusting because I've seen it in so many other people's lives um, where it didn't make sense to a lot of people, yeah. right? But they just trusted the Lord is there. And um, I think it's, I mean, I think it's, you said it, we, we all go through times where you know, maybe we don't feel like God is close or near, right. um, and um, those are the times we just have to trust, right? And 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 be faithful, right? And exercise our faith, and faith has to be exercised, right? And the more we practice it, because it is hard. Yeah. It is hard to say, okay, God, I have no idea how you're leading. I don't. I can't see a thing, yeah. but I'm trusting. I'm and trusting. I think we all have the seasons. And yeah, certainly have had those and continue to have them, and so it's right. just. Um, it's the walk, you know. It's, yeah. And like you said, we don't we don't want to leave when right. the road gets dark. We want to yeah. press on, run the race. Well, we uh, we hope uh, everyone got something out of uh, not just the sermon but our discussion. If you have any comments, you can come to the Facebook, drop those. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, we're back into full swing here at the church for the fall. Uh, you might even potentially hear the bleed over from choir practice that's happening. Um, there's children's quizzing practice happening. Youth group's about to start this evening. Um, there's a grief share group meeting on Monday evenings. There's a ladies' Bible study meeting on Tuesday evenings. Upward is about to get back into full what, swing. Season, season 20? Season 20 here wow. at SC First. Uh, the registration for Upward is open at scnas.com slash upward. Um, if you want to register your elementary aged kids for basketball or cheerleading um, and if you want to help with it with that that's that's a great place to work and that's that's work with with a purpose uh, Greg I know you always uh, work in the in the concession stand. yes it's a it's a great place to be you get to meet new people um, work together we talk about work yeah. right work together build community it's awesome so yeah. as we get those sign-up sheets out there. Look forward to seeing some new faces. That's right. If uh, if you're here this Sunday, our, our Upward Director is going to be uh, in the First Cafe talking to people about uh, how to be involved. Uh, you can also just call the church office or email office at scnaz.com if you want to be involved. Um, but, but really do come join us. We have services every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We have Celebrate Recovery every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. with Celebration Place for kids kindergarten through 12 years old. Um, all the other stuff I've just mentioned it's just a it's a it's a busy busy life here at the church uh, you don't have to be involved in all of it but if you're not involved in some of it then you're really missing out and uh, we'd love for you to be part of the family thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week